Hey, if you're new here this morning, <clears throat> I'm Jeff. I'm one of the elders. I have the opportunity this morning to uh, lead us through a study of God's Word. Uh, I'll let you know in the back are some Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, let that be our gift to you. Please feel free to get it. It's right back on the back shelf. Uh, that way you're allowed to, or allowed, you're able to follow through with us. You're allowed to also. Um, if not, if you're using your phone, uh, we use the ESV version. We're in John chapter 13. We just finished 2 Timothy. Now it's back to John, so we have to make a transition. This seems like it's been uh, I don't know, it's a couple months since we ended John, so we need to be brought back up to speed on where we are starting in chapter 13. Chapter 12 is a transition phase of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 12 is where we find Jesus entering Jerusalem for the last time, called the Triumphal Entry. And uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are called the Upper Room Discourse. So Jesus is in Jerusalem, his final trip, it's during Passover, and for the next, I don't know, I got the next two messages, and then after that, we'll be working our way through chapter 17, but looking at the life of Christ in his final hours before going to the cross. Think about it, everything that Jesus had been teaching them so far. Even back to chapter 12, as uh, you think about that, remember there's this instance where Jesus enters, everybody's hailing him as king, won't be long, everybody is crying out for his crucifixion. But there's one specific place in chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, where God verbally speaks and affirms that Jesus is his son. And so the people gathered heard that, and yet the events in the following chapters that we will study show how quickly they forget. Let's read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. We'll take some time to look into that and find some lessons for us to take away. John 13, verses 1. Through 17. <clears throat> now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
when he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him, that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, resumed his place, and said to them, Do you remember, or do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Quite a scene, quite a thing taking place this final week of Jesus's earthly life right before he goes to the cross. Just so we know, this is Thursday. This is Thursday. Friday, Jesus is arrested and put on the cross. So the very night before all this happens, Again, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, a lot of things that John's going to share with us that happens. But one thing that John does not share with us that'll help you understand what's going on with this passage is found in Luke chapter 22. So if you want to go there, that's fine. If not, it's a short couple of verses that I will share with you. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, he gives the account of the Last Supper when Jesus institutes communion, which we will share in next week. But in verse 24, I want you to notice what happens. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest speaking about those gathered with Jesus, his disciples. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you shall become the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table? or the one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? See what's going on here? This lays the scene, right? They had just been gathered with Jesus, and they're still wanting to 
function and operate in this kind of earthly system, and they want to know, hey, which one of us is your special person, Jesus? Which one of us is the greatest? Who's going to have the most control? Who's going to be the one who calls the shots, Jesus? And he just, like, takes them out at the knees, right? Because he wants to set up an understanding that the earthly kingdom that they think they should be functioning in is not even close to the kingdom Christ calls them to. And that same kingdom is going to be a rub for them and a rub for you and I. Let's go back to 13, walk through some verses and take note of some things. Verse 1, Jesus says, the time is now. He'd actually been sharing with them for a long time that eventually this is going to happen. My time will come. And if you remember throughout the stories of Christ, many of his disciples were trying to make that happen soon. And he kept saying, my time's not yet. And Jesus is saying, no, the time is now. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. What I've been telling you is going to happen. Take note of that this morning. Anything Jesus says, let me expand that. Everything that God says happens. There is nothing that God says in his scriptures that will not happen. Now, it won't happen on our timetable, thankfully. And it didn't happen on those followers of Jesus' timetable. But everything he says will happen, happens. So take confidence in that. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, a detail, a very specific detail about the events that evening. You see, Judas was ready and already decided that he was going to betray Christ. I love this section and wish we had more time to really think about this. But can you think of this kind of spiritual, like, warfare that's happening between the, uh, the scene here? Jesus is saying, the time's now. Somewhere Satan had convinced Judas to serve him. Satan thinking, oh, I've got Jesus right where I want him. He's going to get killed. This whole movement thing of people following God's done. And they're going to soon start to follow me. That's not what happened. We will learn in the days ahead that God's plan was for something different to unfold. Verse 3, Jesus says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knew what was to come, and he was over and in control of all things to come. And that's a key piece for you and I to remember this morning. Jesus is not a victim. He's not a victim to what's going to take place. He knew full and well that all this was going to happen and he was in control and he was in charge. So hold on to that thought because I think that's going to help you understand the depth of this passage. Verses 4 and 5. You've got this interesting 
um, detail of what Jesus does. In the middle of supper, Jesus gets up. It's kind of like, hold on, got some training for you folks here. Don't think you know it all. I'm going to remind you of some things that you need to take note of. He gets up. He takes off his outer garment. He grabs a linen cloth, ties it around his waist, and steps into a different role, at least in the minds of those that were gathered. Here's the deal. The lowest servant in any household was the servant who waited at the door for all travelers that would come to visit a house. They would help them take off their shoes. They would bend down, wash their dirty feet. They've been walking in mud, manure, dust, dirt, whatever. But they did that when somebody came to the house to visit. Jesus didn't do that. I mean, Again, if you put these verses in context with the other Gospels, he's instituting communion, the Lord's Supper. And so Jesus stops it all, gets up, takes off his outer garment, puts this towel around his waist, and now washes their feet. Do you think that caused some reason for them to stop and wonder what in the world is going on? Oh, they get that Jesus is modeling something to them, but wait a minute. You're the promised Messiah, and you're going to stop right now and wash our feet? I mean, only the most menial, lowest servant does something like that. There's a lesson that Jesus wants to teach them. What's going on? Well, I think multiple things, but one of those is this. I I think Jesus is saying, hold on. I've been teaching you about the gospel for three and a half years. I want to put one more piece of the gospel in your hands so that you get it. I, the Messiah, have come to be the lowest, lowest, lowest servant that has come for you, and I'm going to show you the depth and degree of my love of the Father and of you. Me, your Savior, the Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And he models it right here. Well, then verses 6 through 11, you got to love good old Peter, you know? Yeah, I love good old Peter. But Peter says, uh, hey, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. I get it. And Jesus responds to him because he says, Lord, which means my master, my savior, you, you possibly can't wash my feet. It's not right. Jesus says in verse 7, you'll understand later. you'll, You'll see how all this fits together. And then 
It's kind of comical, at least to me, in verse 8. Jesus says, yeah, I, I, I know, but I still can't let you wash my feet. So wash all of me. <laughs> Don't you think Jesus is like, feet her, come on, man. <laughs> I just told you, you're not going to get this. But, but Peter, you know, he's the uh, shoot first, then aim guy, right? He, he's the guy who jumps out of the boat and starts walking and, you know, gets himself into all kinds of problems. But you know what? I love Peter because he shows how much he loves Jesus. He, he kind of gets it. But there's two important things in these verses that, I want to make sure you get. Um, in verse 10, he says, Peter, you don't need a bath. And yet he's talking about washing. So don't miss this, folks. Here's the lesson. Jesus is saying anybody that's had a bath is clean. Meaning if, if you're in Christ, you are clean in God's eyes. You're saved, okay, in our language. You don't need to do that every week, every day, over and over again. No, if you're in Christ, you're clean. Good news, amen? Yeah, well, so then why does he say, but you still need your feet washed? Because Jesus is saying, look, if you're in me, if you're one of my followers, your salvation is secure, but as you go through life, you will sin. It will happen. And you need to deal with that sin, not for salvation, but to recognize the ugliness of sin. And so he's trying to point them to the fact that as you go through life, don't minimize sin. Don't look over your sin. Don't think that it's not important. It is important. As a follower of Christ, I still sin. I don't like that. As a follower of Christ, you still sin. I can't even wake up in the morning and do my devotions and say my prayers without minimizing the holiness of God. Right? I fall short. And Jesus is just saying, look, I'm not saying that you have to repeat the sinner's prayer over and over and over again, but he's saying, hey, don't minimize the sin. As a matter of fact, come together and wash each other's feet, encourage each other to not to take our sin lightly. Now in our service in the morning, Ashley led us through it, we have a portion that we stop to repent of our sins. Why do we do that? Because it's important. It's important to have that modeled for us, and then it's important for us to do it as a corporate body and then carry it on through the week. I never forget, I had the opportunity in 2000 to go to Russia and teach for like three weeks, almost four, <clears throat> and... Um, I was in this church, and it was the only church in this town that was um, not a part of a building owned by the Communist Party. 
I'm not going to use the words or towns because I don't know what's happening still to this day. <clears throat> but I went to this church service, and it was a big old building. By the way, it's Russia in winter. Thank you, Lord. You know, and they don't have heat in the buildings. So we're in this church service, and it had been going maybe an hour and a half, and had an interpreter because I don't speak Russian. And this lady gets up during a portion of the service, weeping, just weeping, and speaking. And I asked my interpreter, what's going on? I said, she just stood up in front of the whole group and confessed some sins. <laughs> and people gathered around this lady, and they prayed with this lady. And then we went right back into the service. Man, I don't forget that example. She wanted to confess. God's people surrounded her and prayed with her. Verses 12 and 13. Um, Jesus kind of finishes the lesson. He puts his garments back on and sits down at the table. He says, you call me teacher, which is correct. He was their rabbi. He had been teaching them. You call me Lord, which is a title for the Messiah. You're right, for so I am. Now, I don't know this for sure. He's agreeing that he is teacher. He is their rabbi. He is their Messiah. But I kind of think when he says, so I am, you remember that being the title, self-disclosed title God uses for himself. I kind of think Jesus is connecting that and saying, yep, I'm teacher, I'm Messiah, I'm God, because I'm going back to God. I was with him and I can't wait to go back and be with him. So the very things that I am teaching you, don't miss what those are. And then verse 17, he says this. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See a contrast here? It's not about knowing these things. It's about what? Doing these things. You remember the sermon series that we just finished on 2 Timothy, how we talked about our faith can be so academic that we can know the right things, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He wants to see a life that lives it out. He says, so blessed, joyful, actually in this context, it can also mean happy. Happy are you, joyful are you, if you do the things that I'm teaching you. What had he been teaching them? A lot of different things. Specific to this passage, I was thinking as I prayed through this this week. You remember one of the big lessons Jesus was constantly trying to teach? You have the religious leaders uh, approaching Jesus at one point saying, What's the most important thing we need to do? You remember? They're, they're looking for, tell us what specific 
commandments and actions we need to do to be right with God? What are the things we need to do? And the religious leaders and lawyers are pressing Jesus, and he says, well, the most important thing is this. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's the thing. You know, you boil it all down. Jesus is saying, what God wants from you is your heart, your life. And so I think one of the lessons being taught in this passage is Jesus showing them and teaching them what great commandment love looks like. Great commandment love. Here it is. Look at my life, he says. He says, look, when you look at me, I'm going to show you what it looks like to love God with everything. Love God with everything. What was everything for him? It was just a few hours away. A few hours of excruciating humiliation, torment, suffering, and a cross. And yet, you look in these verses, Jesus says, I know my time has come. I know I'm going to be going back to the Father. I know everything I've been saying is going to happen right now. The time to depart out of this world and return to the Father. And then it says, he loved his own to the end. That means to the utmost. It means all the way to the cross. When nobody stands with him, he loves his own to the end. Why? Because he loved the Father for one. And his whole life expressed to us what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Now, let's dig in a little deeper. Who's sitting at the table with Jesus? Judas. Judas. Who gets his feet washed with the rest of them? Judas. Oh my goodness. Think about that. The very person who's going to betray you, that had walked with you, that had traveled with you, heard all the right lessons, right? He knew all the things Jesus said, but his life sure did not reflect it. And Jesus kneels and washes his feet because he loves the Father so much that he was willing to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for any and all who believe. We have this humble Jesus setting aside his deity to wash sinful people for their sins because he loves the Father and he loves them. Loving the Father would mean that in a few short hours, Jesus leaves the upper room and walks across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes there to pray with his disciples who fall asleep. 
And yet he would pray and he would sweat tears of blood over what was to come. And then you remember his words, Father, if possible, remove this from me, yet not my will, but yours. Great commandment love is a sacrificial love that springs forth from a heart that is devoted. How's your devoted heart? Would somebody in your circle of influence say, well, when I look at your life, I see a heart that loves God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength? Does your heart of love look more like a Sunday morning event? Something you try to squeeze in just to give God a little bit so you kind of get a check mark and feel like God's like, oh, you came to church, so that's good. That's all I want, just a little bit. Great commandment love is a sacrificial love. Second, this great commandment love that Jesus was teaching was teaching them to love people, love their neighbors, love their enemies. Who's the enemy at this table? Face to face with Judas. Washing the feet, I think, has several examples that I want us to kind of tease out this morning. Think of the symbolism here. Jesus gets up from the table, goes over and removes his outer garments. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, the earth he created, enters into it, lays aside some of his divinity in order to live fully human as well, although he never, hear me clearly, did not cease to become God, but he willingly set aside some things, right, as he walked this earth, not violating his deity. He took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. He left heaven to put on human flesh, He poured water into a basin to wash their dirty feet. And in a few days, Jesus would be the sacrificial lamb. You remember John the Baptist saying that takes away the sin of the world and would wash clean, filthy sinners like you and me. He washes their feet and then dries their feet. It always is amazing to me that the Creator God, the Creator King Jesus, was willing to step into a world that He created perfectly and encounter sin for the first time. Think about that. When Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit in this loving, triune God relationship, no sin no defilement, and yet he would be willing to leave heaven to step into his creation that was full of sin, to engage his creation, his people that have rejected him, who try to fit him into their life, who say, well, I don't have much time for Jesus, but I can give you a little bit, and he comes to say, no, I I will come so that it's possible for us to be reunited, and you can be my sons and daughters again. 
What should our response be to that kind of love? Well, again, we poke fun at Peter, but Peter's comment, Lord, not just my feet, but my whole body. I want to be associated with you, Jesus. You, you, you loved me, and I'm kind of getting it, not fully, but he did get it, right? They all got it. The love of Jesus is a relational love that Jesus got. He knew the closeness of Jesus. He'd experienced the physical love and compassion of Christ. And we do too. We do too. Every word that is written here is true. The living Lord Jesus is as real today as the story we are reading. The living Lord Jesus is as personal today as it was then. Jesus modeled great commandment love. And part of the re- way that he did that was destroying the pride of humanity. The humble Lord Jesus, willing to stoop down and wash your feet and my feet, our Savior. Third and finally, this morning, Jesus teaches great commandment disciple-making. Great commandment disciple-making. We say, wait a minute, didn't we just spend two months talking about that? It's like, yep, we're going to talk about it again. You remember um, kind of the formula I shared uh, in 2 Timothy that a a simple way to look at disciple-making is involve people in your life, invest in them, and then ignite them, right? We said, well, Paul said, uh, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, Christ lays it out for us in these verses. First, he says, though, in verse 17, if you know these things, okay, but if you do these things, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. You're going to be full of joy. See, the, the gospel is kind of this upside-down kingdom thing. It makes no sense in our understanding of the way we think things should work. I read from Luke chapter 22. We just read some things that Jesus said here. Think about it. You want to be first in God's kingdom? Be what? <laughs> Last. This is what he says. If, if uh, you want to find happiness... Become a servant. If you want to live, die to yourself. Like all the opposite things that we learn in the world today that will bring us happiness. Right? We, we learn that you have the most money, you're going to be happy because you'll be over all other people. You're going to be in the workplace and be the boss, tell people what to do, you're going to be happy. On and on and on. And this upside-down kingdom of Jesus... It's not about that. This great commandment love that he's talking about in dying to self 
we live unhindered lives. We, we live humble lives. We don't feel like we need to pursue all the other things that are against humility. In other words, it's about putting Jesus in his rightful place in your life. So Jesus says, if you follow my teaching, if you believe my gospel, there's joy and there's fullness and there's happiness because your life is in alignment with mine. And that's the way I created you to live. Three and a half years Jesus had to train his disciples in these things. Now it's coming to an end. Verse 15, Jesus says, I've given you an example. I've given you an example. Go do what I have taught you. 1 John 2, 6 says this. Whoever says they abide in him, meaning Jesus, ought to walk in the same way he walked. Do what he had been doing. See, the sacrificial love that forgives, restores, also prioritizes a life. Our choices are different. Our affections are different. The way we invest ourselves in relationships and in things is different. Involve, well, Jesus involves them in his life right to the point he was arrested. Invest, he invests some final lessons right here. Be a servant like me. Ignite them, go do what I showed you and told you to do. Don't just sit on it. The humble Jesus says, be humble the way I am. Love others, even your enemies. The humble Jesus says, get involved of the lives of people, even those people who have dirty feet. Be willing to be humble. The humble Jesus says, don't think I'm happy don't think you will be happy when you live like a consumer in my world. The humble Jesus says, no, give of yourself the way I gave of myself. The humble Jesus says, you're not that important. <laughs> you're really not that important. And I, the creator of all things, showed you how to be humble. The humble Jesus says, I love you till the end. And so when he said on the cross, it is finished, it is finished. The humble Jesus said, wash each other's feet. Be involved. I've put a church together for you to be a part of the church. I'm not talking about substance church. Substance Church is one of those. You know what I mean. I've given you a church to walk together, to encourage each other, to help each other know that if you confess your sins to each other, they'll come alongside and help you when your feet get dirty and our feet get dirty. Let's don't minimize it. 
The humble Jesus says, when your feet are dirty, wash them. Repent. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and restore us. The humble Jesus invites you today to live for him. Not by the world's standards, but to live your life with a great commandment value. Love God with everything. Love your neighbors yourself. Live on mission making disciples that do the same thing and you will be blessed. Three questions for you. One, is there anything in your life that you're holding on to that you need to surrender to God? What are you holding on to? Well, I love the Lord my God was kind of part of my little bit of my you can trust him with it. What are you holding on to that you need to give over? How's your love for other people, even your enemies? Are you willing to reconcile and forgive and restore broken relationships because you love the great commandment? And how's your great commandment, disciple-making? Who have you got involved in your life? Who are you investing in? And are you sending them out to do the same thing? Wow. Who knew? A simple story about washing people's feet had so much. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, the stories like this are just so big and they're so counter to what our very nature wants to live out that if we pause for just the slightest moment and think about you being creator, God, who stepped into time and space, Knowing you did so, Jesus, for the sole purpose of redeeming mankind to yourself is pretty amazing. And then we add to the fact, as we're in the Gospel of John reading, the cost of doing that was immense. You bent down, you entered our space and time of your creation so that we could be proclaimed clean. And how do we do that? It's by knowing you. It's by confessing that our sin separates us from you. And that by repenting and proclaiming that you, you, Jesus, are truly the Son of God, the Messiah who came to take away the sin of the world, that any and all that would believe in you and follow you will be clean. Repentance. Reconciliation. Restoration. 
all by you, the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through you. For those this morning that don't know that, I pray for them. I pray, oh Jesus, this morning that they might say, I know I need to love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And I'm withholding my very life. For those who are wrestling and struggling because of their dirty feet, let them be assured that when they repent, you forgive. But Jesus, as we think of you, we say thank you for these lessons displaying your love. In Jesus' name, amen.